Rinkwide Vancouver. The Canucks go into Denver and fall 5-2 to the Avalanche. A terrific hockey game through 40 minutes. You might even say 50 minutes, but in the end, the Avs pull away from the Canucks a three-goal victory, and the Vancouver Canucks reach the 20-game mark of this 2023-24 National Hockey League season with a record of 13-6-1. Jeff Patterson along with Blake Price. This is Rinkwide Vancouver. It's a presentation of Betway. And Blake, the Canucks held their own. I mean, it was a dizzying 20 minutes of hockey to start, and then penalties sort of bogged things down in that middle frame. But much as it was on Saturday at home against Seattle, 2-2 to the third period, opportunity knocking. And it was the Kraken that beat the Canucks at Rogers Arena. And this time it was the Avs on home ice at Ball Arena that pull away and win it by a score of 5-2. It was a, a very fun game, I, I thought, and you're right, right up to the 50-minute mark, uh, really, and, and the Canucks played okay. I mean, it wasn't a shameful performance against a very, very good team. They just missed a certain something, a certain je ne sais quoi, a, a, a little bit of finish here and there, and a little bit of, well, in the case of the Kale McCarr goal, uh, really, they put it out of reach, they, they missed a, a backup valve to uh, the defensive side of things and nobody was back there to help out on the JT Miller giveaway so you know when you're playing against the good teams it's fine lines and the Canucks found that out against the app they played okay but it wasn't good enough yeah you know it's funny through the first couple of periods I mean JT Miller scored a brilliant goal and so I don't want to say that the stars weren't heard from because Quinn Hughes and Kale McCarrich had assists in the first 40 minutes of the hockey game. But, you know, this is a night where Nils Hoaglander opens the scoring and Jonathan Drouin gets his second of the year. Riley Tufty just called up and plugged into the lineup, <laughs> and he gets the go-ahead goal. And you're thinking, there's too much talent on the ice in this game on both sides. Like, somebody's going to rise to the challenge. And you were hoping, I think, if you're a Canucks fan, that it was going to be Quinn Hughes making some sort of statement head-to-head against Kale McCarr. Or maybe JT Miller had another one in him. Or how about Elias Pettersson, who had one of his quietest nights in a long, long time. And that's becoming a, a, a recurring theme now. Uh, for Elias Pettersson, and something that we'll get into here as we move along on the postgame pod, but ultimately it was Kale McCarr strips JT Miller, picks his pocket, and off to the races. Uh, Thatcher Demko got a good chunk of his shot, but McCarr able to beat him, and and that was the dagger. That made it 4-2. to two. Miko Rantanen into the empty net gets his 12th of the season, and that truly sealed the deal as Rick Tockett gambled and got Thatcher Demko out of there with just under four minutes to play and sort of throwing the Hail Mary, if you will, Ultimately, though, Colorado takes over in that third period, and it's unfortunate because I, I did think for 40 minutes, you know, not only on the scoreboard, but territorially, I thought the Canucks more than held their own against this Colorado hockey club. And we've said all along, like, these are great measuring sticks. You know, they beat the Oilers on opening night. They beat the Dallas Stars 2 nothing when both of those teams at the 10-game mark were two of the top teams in the National Hockey League. So, you know, another test for them. This time they come up short. And again, their 20-game record is incredible. And there are going to be losses along the way. But it does sort of feel like this is the first blip on the schedule for the Vancouver Canucks, who've now lost three of four when you go back to the game in Calgary, the home game against Seattle, and this one. And you stretch it a little bit further than that. And the Canucks are just three and four in their last seven. So pretty pedestrian in that regard. But as we have said repeatedly here on Rinkwide and other shows, you know, that's the significance of the start that they got off to was, you know, you squirrel all those points away. They matter as much in October and November as they do later in the season. And so, you know, you could have a few stretches like this one along the way. But 
Uh, They have to make sure now going into Seattle on Friday and then the following night in San Jose, this is what they've avoided to this point is any sort of real skid. Now, if they were to lose in Seattle on Friday, that would just be two in a row because they did beat San Jose on Monday night. But bounce back game coming up and they've been a pretty good team in terms of bouncing back, but they're going to get another push on Friday at Climate Pledge Arena. You know, week by week, if you look for on that calendar, like it, it hasn't looked bad over the last three weeks, even though it feels like regression has arrived here. And really this week, they haven't had a losing week yet. This week is still very much in their hands. Like this loss stings and, and it's disappointing, I'm sure, for a lot of Canuck fans. If they bounce back versus Seattle, they'd be two and one on the week going into San Jose, where it is almost guaranteed win night. A three and one week is staring at you in the face if you can bounce back versus the Kraken. So this one hurts, but I do have a feeling, Jeff, if you play this hockey game again, against the Kraken is probably good enough or not much better is going to be good enough. I mean, the Stars could have made their imprint on this game just a little bit more. Maybe still that's not enough. Maybe it's still a 4-3 defeat at that point. But if the Stars make a little bit more of an imprint than they did tonight, they're probably beating the Kraken. So I don't think they have to be that much better. And I I think that Canucks fans can also take some comfort in Everybody and their dog has seen this coming. The coaching staff, the players, they are desperate to make sure that regression doesn't take down their start of the season. So uh, I don't think anybody is, um, you know, is taking this lightly. Although, I mean, hey, you could say that about Edmonton too. They're not taking it lightly either, and they still can't nab a win. But uh, I don't think there's any panic yet. It shouldn't be any panic yet no. from Canucks fans. Let's see what happens versus Seattle, and then we'll readdress. Yeah, I mean, when I look at this game and the way it unfolded, you know, they open the scoring again. They've been really good about that. And it's meant something to this team on a lot of nights. But unfortunately, there was that stretch late in the first period. Nils Hoaglander opens the scoring and then Val McChushkin on the power play a minute and 14 seconds later. And then 106 after that, it was Jonathan Drouin. And so the one nothing lead evaporated in a hurry. And Colorado takes the 2-1 lead to the locker room after 20 minutes of play. And yet I liked a lot of the second period from the Vancouver Canucks, although it was sort of hard to decipher which chunks I truly liked because there wasn't much five-on-five in that second period. The Josh Manson major penalty and the offsetting power plays, the exchange with Brock Besser, that was one of the storylines to come out of that second period. But JT Miller, the individual effort four-on-four, and that's Devon Taves, Blake, that he is uh, basically turning inside out and then, you know, cuts to the middle and then hard to the outside, kicks the puck up to his stick and goes short side on Georgiev. I mean, just a beauty goal for JT Miller who... Uh, has reeled in Brock Besser now and has tied for the team lead. They both have 13 goals. And remember, uh, Besser had four on opening night and at one point had a 6-2 edge head-to-head with his linemate JT Miller. So Miller has just been so good, so consistent, finding the score sheet basically on a, on a nightly basis for the Vancouver Canucks these days. So, uh, you know, big goal. Midway through the second period, ties the game 2-2, and you're thinking, all right, game on, hit the reset button, and that next goal is going to be huge. And obviously that next goal came early in the third period and give the Avs credit. I thought they jumped the Canucks in that third period. They had, Olsen had a chance all alone in front on the first shift of the third period. Thatcher Demko was forced to make a pretty good save there and Colorado just kind of kept up with the pressure and ultimately it's Tufty battling for his uh, every inch of ice and you know, does he push Ian Cole into Thatcher Demko? Perhaps the Canucks uh, were able to challenge the other night and it went in their favor. I don't think there was enough there to challenge. Ultimately they didn't. 
But uh, give Riley Tufty credit. I mean, this guy wants to be in the NHL. If he's going to stay in the NHL, he's going to have to get to difficult areas of the ice. And Ian Cole's been really good for the Vancouver Canucks, but kind of gets out-muscled on that play. And Demko really didn't have much of a chance. Puck gets through him. And, you know, that's the go-ahead goal that uh, the Avs would not relinquish. There's really not much to point to, not much to get up in arms about. I mean, really, if you want to point to opportunity lost, the biggest culprit might be Anthony Bovillier's penalty during the five-minute major. I mean, part of that wacky second period. First period was just a, you know, just a great chess match. Uh, two teams with a lot of skill going back and forth, and then I dogs breakfast second period <laughs> with every single three v four, four v three, four four on four, five on. I mean, every combo platter was available to you in that second period, and. They get the goal from JT Miller in the four-on-four portion of the five-minute major. They're licking their chops, getting set for the power play that's about to come, and then it never arrives for the Vancouver Canucks. And, you know, what could have been? Maybe they get a different kind of Colorado team if they score on a power play goal there and carry a lead into the third period. Just you never know how that changes things. Well, I'm glad you brought up the power play because uh, ultimately, when you look at the way this game unfolds, I mean, it's a tight game and then the empty netter, but Colorado goes one for four on the power play and there's a bagel on the Canucks side and there were a lot of power play opportunities, as you said, choppy and broken up as they were. But in that second period, uh, the Canucks didn't have a power play in the first and you look at the two penalties that were called, Ian Cole for interference, and I, I thought that one was warranted. The Connor Garland cross-check on Bo Byram, boy... It's a contact sport. Connor Garland, we're talking about. He may have leaned on Bowen Byram. Uh, whatever the case, uh, judgment call, referee puts the arm up, and that's the one the Avs scored on. So tough for Connor Garland. But then the Canucks started to get their run of power plays in the second period. And this is a power play that has carried them on a lot of nights, has won them a bunch of games already, but uh, something not quite right. And again, I think a lot of it's tracking back to one player in particular. And Blake, when you look at it on the power play, All of the Canucks power play time came in the second. Five minutes and 44 seconds of power play time in the second period. Just four shots on goal. And this is three straight games now for the first time all season that the power play hasn't come through. I mentioned earlier that Seattle game was close the other night and power play goal could have helped them in a big way then against San Jose the other night. Uh, They didn't need power play goals, but I'm sure they would have taken one. Uh, But they did need a power play goal in that second period when the game was hanging there in the balance. And all of a sudden, a lot of possession, a lot of good player movement, but four shots on goal in five minutes and 44 seconds of power. That's not enough. Like, you've got to get, you got to funnel some pucks to the net. They were swashbuckling gunslingers in the opening few weeks of the season, and so much movement. And I wondered if it was sustainable because it looked almost freelance at times, the power play. And so it's almost like they're like, okay, guys, we got to settle this down. We were a little bit crazy there. And the settling down hasn't worked. Like, it's just different. Um, Remember JT Miller would put himself in an offside position so that he could get that head start, you know, racing downhill when he collects the pass from Quinn Hughes. We haven't really seen that. He's sort of done an abbreviated version, stopping at the blue line, like... Get that movement back. They are moving still. Watch what they do. They move, get to a spot, and then they're stationary again. So it's it's just you're just rearranging the deck chairs at that point. You're you're not actually in movement or taking advantage of the movement. So it can be a little bit deceiving there, and it's gotten back to a little bit more predictable. Shots aren't getting through, even when they're getting good looks and getting some space. It's getting blocked often, and um, are people guessing that? 
Elias Pettersson doesn't have his best shot right now, that something is nagging on him because there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of fear of EP40 right now. No, and you mentioned deck chairs. Let's be honest; like these are plush, uh, luxurious deck chairs. Yes, that, you know, yes. not the plastic ones that uh, you buy at the dollar store. These are still pretty nice deck chairs. But let's get to Petey because something—it's been hard to criticize a guy who has been at or near the top of the NHL scoring lead. Even if he hasn't been at his best, he was picking up points and he was leading the league. Like it's hard to throw darts at a guy. But I mentioned that uh, you know for the first time all season, the team is struggling a little bit with wins and losses. And Elias Pettersson now has a goal and three assists in his last seven games. He scored on the power play in Calgary last week. That's his only goal. So no goals at five on five in the last seven hockey games. Had just three shots on goal in this game tonight. You know, it's one thing if he's not scoring. But Blake, he was on the ice for four of the five Colorado goals. The first three, the penalty kill. Yeah, I'm not going to hold him at fault. But his line was out there for the first two even strength goals against as well. And that's not something that we've become accustomed to, all the talk about Elias Pettersson, 200-foot game, Selkie candidate, all that, for him to be on the wrong side of the scoreline four times when the other team scores five in a game, this just doesn't look or feel like he is anywhere close to his best right now. It's a good team on the other side, so you have to give yep. them credit. Yep. They have some some play. I mean, they reunited the, the lotto line there in the third period. My goodness, they just spent 45 seconds defending the whole time. You know, like, it's a lot of good talent on the Avs side of things, but there's still something missing for sure right now for Elias Pettersson in particular. I think JT Miller's still looking very good. I think Quinn Hughes was looking like himself as well. And, and hey, we're still getting fabulous performances uh, that were seen out of Niels Hoaglander. Anthony Bovillier tried a little harder today, I thought, and took the unfortunate penalty like we talked about. So there's some good performances in there, but everybody's looking at number 40 uh, to do something, and it just feels like something is preventing him from doing that. Yeah, and it was pointed out uh, by Daniel Wagner of Pasadabulis, you know, he didn't take a face-off until the late stages of the second period in this hockey game, and that is odd because he plays that position. Now, in the second, there was a ton of power play time and penalty kill, and that's essentially JT Miller's role. And Miller did take 25 face-offs uh, on the night. Pedersen finished with eight, and he won four uh, and lost four. But, you know, when you see him not taking face-offs again, people start to connect these dots. And this is a guy that in the past has had wrist issues. He only had one shot on goal through 40 minutes, uh, one shot on the power play. Uh, you know, we did see him score on the one-timer in Calgary, that goal that he scored. But it does feel right now like... They're not teeing him up for the absolute howitzer. And so you do wonder if that is, uh, and again, it's all speculation because the team's not going to say anything. And, you know, he practices. He had the one maintenance day a couple of weeks back, but he's been out there for practice. I would think that if he required some time off, they would give it to him. Whatever. I mean, we know what he means to this team. We know what he looks like when he's on his game. And I, I just think it's pretty clear for all to see right now that Elias Pettersson's not at the top of his game. And some of that is probably his line mates too. Like Andre Kuzmenko, he, this is his 100th game in the National Hockey League, was a revelation last year, but he's got nine now without a goal and just one in his last 14, only one shot on goal. You know, and so it kind of cuts both ways. It can't just all be on Elias Pettersson, but I, I thought of those three, Ilya Mikheyev was probably the most noticeable. I had a couple of chances in the first period, didn't convert there, also had a spinning chance in the slot when the game was 2-2 in the second. And so, you know, I, I see Mikheyev on my game notes. I've, I've written his name down a handful of times. Not much from Pettersson. He did have that incredible sequence in the first period on the back check where he just picked the pocket of the Avs player 
And then they transitioned, and he was busting right up the middle, and actually looked like he had a pretty good burst of speed there, uh, got a scoring chance. But when I come out of these games, and I've only got one note written down for Elias Pettersson, you know, that's not the Elias Pettersson that uh, we have watched develop into a star at this level. So he's not going, his line isn't necessarily going right now, and it is going to be difficult uh, for the Vancouver Canucks to win on the regular, especially against other really good teams if their top-end guys aren't getting it done. And tonight, JT Miller did, but, you know, pretty quiet night, I thought, for Brock Besser. And I don't blame Rick Tockett. Like, we saw it the other night, talked about Bouvillier and, you know, the penalty. You're right, poor timing there. But moments before the penalty, that chance, like, he is snake bitten. There's no doubt. I mean, the guy deserves a goal. I thought he's played pretty well the last couple of games. And I had a really good chat with him, actually, on Tuesday after practice before they flew to Denver. I'm going to write a piece about his struggles at the 20-game mark for Canucks Army. You know, he's trying to stay positive, but you can tell. I mean, it's a contract year for him. He's a $4 million guy that's been a 20-goal scorer in the National Hockey League, and he just can't get one to go. But man, he came close there in the second when he kind of wiped across the face of the goal. It was a 2-1 game at that time, and, you know, they're just staying out for him. But I do think he's playing hard. He's noticeable. And Phil DiGiuseppe kind of seems to be trending in the other direction. So I don't blame Tockett. And I, I do wonder if uh, this next game, we will see Beauvillier start with JT Miller and Brock Besser. There's a, a lot of decisions for Rick Tockett with the health of the blue line in question right now. Akita Hirose would almost certainly uh, seem to be in the lineup, I would think. I, I, I mean, who knows what Myers' injury is like if he just maybe got it you know, a puck right off the wrist bone, maybe, you know, just it really hurt in the moment. But between that and the Friedman injury, like, it seems like a pretty good bet that somebody's coming out of that lineup. Yeah, Friedman, that was unfortunate for him, tangled up with Natushkin in front of the net and, you know, looked scary in the moment, but was able to sort of peel himself up, get a little help off the ice, but didn't return. So, yeah, we'll have to wait for an update there. As you said, Hiroshi is the extra defenseman on this trip. They're in the west and they're coming further west, so... And further north to, towards Abbotsford. <laughs> right, now so, Abbotsford's yeah. in Calgary for the weekend, but uh, it's not the weekend yet. And so they, if they needed bodies, they certainly would, you know, get some guys down to Seattle to join the Vancouver Canucks. So we'll see what happens there. I, I was a little surprised, quite frankly, that they went out on a three and four without an extra forward. But again, I think geography probably does play into that, that if you had to put in a call, you know, the only danger there is if somebody comes down ill on game day or during the warm up or something like that. But they got through that. They had the full complement of healthy bodies for this one. And we'll see what the roster looks like before they get to uh, the Kraken on Friday. Just on Beauvillier again, I mean, he, he shuttled between lines but on that line with Sam Lafferty and Nils Hoaglander, they opened the scoring. Just an incredible sequence. Uh, you know, Sam Lafferty on his horse, his wheels so noticeable. Uh, and they are almost every night. And he scored the big shorthanded goal the other night. But he didn't get an assist for a while. They did tack it on and he deserved it because he starts that sequence by tracking Jack Johnson down and actually blowing by him and able to, you know, fling that puck around the boards. And then there's a battle on the other side. Good work by Hoaglander there and and... Bovillier able to free the puck up and ultimately it gets to the front of the net and Hoaglander with a couple of whacks at it. And look at that, Nils Hoaglander up to six goals yeah. on the season and has scored in three of the last four. I mean, he's uh, certainly answered the call about a more consistent effort from his head coach and he had to give him a little bit of a nudge in the middle part of uh, these 20 games so far. Uh, but for the most part, this has been a very tidy start to the season. Six goals in 18 games. You will not 
<laughs> have any trouble with that sort of production from Niels Hoaglander and and just the effort too. The buzz saw this is Canadian division Nils Hoaglander. This is what we remember. And I was baffled, Jeff, as to where that guy went, why that guy couldn't understand that the simple recipe was going to get him a consistent job in the National Hockey League. But it seems to be back. He seems to have found it again. Yeah, and, and I'm always willing to cut him a little bit of slack just because as a young player coming from Sweden into the most dysfunctional fire possible, like, I mean, those first couple of seasons, whether it was COVID and nobody in the stands or the on-ice product, the organizational dysfunction, now on his third NHL head coach before he's, you know, even turned 23 years of age. Like, there's a lot to process there for a young player. And I do think that, you know, the first season was terrific, basically a half a point a game guy. And then it felt like there was some confidence issues and maybe different voices in his head telling him to focus more on defense. And it kind of felt like he wasn't free up to play the game that he was supposed to play. But he's back. There's no doubt. Uh, You're right. He looks an awful lot like he did as a rookie. And when you think of the ticket that he's on right now and next season as well, like he can be a very useful piece for the Vancouver Canucks. And again, you know, is able to contribute a goal in limited ice time one of the low ice time guys for the Vancouver Canucks in this hockey game, finished the night playing 11 minutes and 42 seconds, but there he is uh, on the score sheet, opening the scoring for the Vancouver Canucks. And, you know, you wanted to believe that the first goal was going to be a big one, but at the same time, it's a Colorado team that certainly has firepower. And and you saw that as this night unfolded. So the Canucks fall 5-2 to the Colorado Avalanche. Again, they reach the 20 game mark. And it's funny in the way the schedule works, 20 games last year was also uh, in Colorado. Now they won that game and that started a stretch of six wins in eight games. I, I sort of, that's lost on me. I, I don't remember the Canucks last year winning six of eight at any point, but they did. The record book will show it. This time they lose in Colorado as they get to the 20 game mark, but 13, six and one where a year ago they were seven, 10 and three. So it really is night and day. One loss to a good Colorado team isn't reason for concern, but clearly they're not at that same level that they were uh, when they came right out of the gate. And so, yeah, I mean, that's going to be the challenge for the Vancouver Canucks is to get some of their best players playing at their level. And then you hope others kind of fall in behind them. You know, would that Jodemko have liked a a save on that Kale McCarr shot? Absolutely he would have, but uh, give McCarr credit, uh, an incredible run for him, uh, basically going coast to coast there to, to seal this one for the Colorado Avalanche. So, on to Seattle now, and we'll see what the Canucks look like on Friday, and we'll see who's available to Rick Talk and his coaching staff in the way of a lineup. Still to come here on Rinkwide Vancouver, we'll get to the three stars of this game. We'll check in on the three stars as they were selected at Ball Arena as well. We'll get to the stat that stands out. We'll get to some listener feedback from our social channels and whatever else we can squeeze in. But uh, right now, Blake, it's time for our Betway Bet of the Day. Isn't it Thanksgiving weekend? Don't we get to pretend that we get our second Thanksgiving? Isn't that what it's all about? So I think you got to look at the Seahawks and the 49ers. Don't cheer on the Kraken on Friday, but I think you're free to cheer on the Seahawks on Thursday. That being said, I wouldn't necessarily bet on Geno Smith being that effective. So I'm going to take the under for total passing yards with that wonky elbow of his under 235 and a half yards. Pays out a buck eighty-seven. There you go. That's your Betway bet of the day. Must be nineteen years of age or older. Please play responsibly. And for any of our American listeners, uh, absolutely a happy Thanksgiving to you south of the border. Five-two. The Colorado Avalanche defeat the Vancouver Canucks. It's Jeff and it's Blake and it's rink-wide Vancouver.
Canucks fall 5-2 in Denver. We're breaking it all down here on rink-wide Vancouver. We're going to get to our three-star selection in a moment. But let's hear from the head coach first, uh, Blake. I'm curious mm-hmm. to get Rick Tockett's take on this one. Again, you're not going to win them all, and there are good teams around the National Hockey League. The Canucks will see Vegas at home next week. Uh, you know, So these are all measuring sticks for his hockey club. And you know, as we said, they were pretty good for 40 minutes, but it is a 60-minute game. Here's Rick Tockett on the way his team went down in Denver. Hey, guys played hard. A lot of guys played, uh, emptied the tank. We had some, some really good moments. A lot of penalties there. Um, yeah, for the most part, you know, you know these are these are the type of games are going to happen for the rest of the year. Um, you know, this is the this is where you got to make sure your details, you stop in the slide defensively, things like that. Um, we got to keep working on. Yeah, and he talked about emptying the tank, and and I would say they did that. And you know, I know this time last week fatigue was an issue, and the schedule is stacked, and they're back in this stretch of five more in eight, so it's not going to be easy. This is the beginning of three and four all out on the road in different cities, but they had. Tuesday off to practice at the very least and fly to Denver and get ready to go. And they'll have Thursday to prepare now for the Seattle crack. And so I don't think that this was about fatigue. Although, uh, as we said right off the top, I mean, two of the last three games tied going to the third period. That's when you want to believe like the good teams find a way. And I still think that this can be a good team, but I also think those are sort of areas that you can point to that maybe have to be polished up a little bit for the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, it's a it's a learning moment, certainly. And, and I do wonder if they can learn from this. Like they've had an easier schedule. I'm not going to say it's as easy as some people have made it out to be because again, the Oilers, no one thought they would be an easy out on the, on the schedule. This team looked like they knew who they were playing in the or in the first 40 minutes. And, and that's good. Like, it, they played it differently. They played like they were playing an NHL superpower, like they were playing a cup champ. That's good. 40 minutes is not how long NHL games are, though. So they just need to try to extend that a little bit. And, and you wonder how much that opening shift of the third period sort of put them on their heels and maybe colored the rest of the period. But I do like the way that they sort of, they wore their tuxedo to the event here tonight and looked like they were ready to play a very good team. They just need to extend it a little bit longer. Yeah, well, you mentioned that third one. That was the one that uh, I think is going to stick with Rick Tockett. That was the one goal. And ultimately, it turns out to be the the game winner. Although in that moment, there's still uh, basically a period to go. So there was time for the Vancouver Canucks. But uh, the Riley Tufty goal, the traffic in front, that was the one that Rick Tockett didn't like on this night. You know, on the, I think it was the third goal. We got to stop in the slot there, and uh, they score that goal. That was a, you know, that was the one. You got to play good defense, and uh, we gave them that one. Nothing the Canucks can do about it now, other than try to learn from it as they move out of Denver and on to Seattle, and then San Jose on Saturday. But let me say this: that, and you and I have been covering the Canucks for a long time, and done a lot of post games over the years in various formats. Isn't it nice to have games with heft? Like, that first period to me felt like two teams, as you said, that recognized the significance. I didn't didn't realize the Canucks were wearing tuxedos tonight, but yes, uh, whatever yes. the case, uh, uh, patent leather shoes maybe, or uh, oh no, kids are wearing the... They're, they're wearing the running shoes these days with the, uh, with their suits and their tuxes. But but it's just like, these have been happening around the NHL. Like, this isn't a, a new concept. It's just that the Canucks haven't been invited to the big party to wear a tuxedo for a long, long time. And so, you know, Edmonton on opening night, we didn't know at the time, but just the way the schedule unfolded back-to-back with the Oilers to start, you know, those felt like they would be significant for a team that had to get off to a good start and they passed those tests. That Dallas game on the Saturday night when the Stars were 7-1-1 one, and, one, and the Canucks were, I think, 7-2-1 and one at the time, that was the first time, like in the building at Rogers Arena, like it actually felt, and I was like, man, I have missed this so much. This is a road game, so we weren't there, 
But even from this distance, it's just cool that the Canucks are back involved in games that matter. And let's hope there are a whole lot more uh, the rest of the way. Is Friday one of those after their history recently against the Kraken and the fact that they, again, don't want to lose back-to-back games for the second time in as many weeks? I think all of a sudden you really want to beat the Kraken, who are playing better hockey themselves of late. I think we might have to transfer some of this energy to Friday and make that one a big one, too. Well, the Kraken absolutely stomped the Sharks. They did to San Jose what uh, the Canucks wanted to do the other night and and more of what the Canucks did back on the 2nd of November. 7-1 Seattle defeats San Jose. So all of a sudden the Kraken follow up their win against the Canucks. They lost in overtime to Calgary the other night, but they got a single point out of that one. And then they beat this San Jose team and like, don't look now, but that Vancouver lead, the Canucks are up to 20 and it's not up to because they didn't get any points in this one, but they're at 27 points, but the Kraken are at 21 points. So there's six back in the proverbial four pointer on Friday. So yeah, absolutely. There is some significance there. And again, the Canucks are spending some of the money that they banked early on right now as other teams are closing the gap just a little bit. All right, let's get to the rink-wide Vancouver three stars from this hockey game. And as we always like to do, see who were uh, the stars in the building. Riley Tufty, and he scored the game winner. And that was enough to be the first star in this hockey game, apparently. Did he, though? Did he, did he <laughs> score the game winner? I don't know. I think Miles gonna, Wood? Yeah, I think it might be Miles Wood's buddy before long, but yeah. Uh, well, then Miles Wood might have to argue that he gets <laughs> yeah. to go into a, a twirl and be the first star, but uh, Tufty had that to honor. Uh, Jonathan Drouin was the second star. Val Nachushkin was named the third star. So a clean sweep for the Avs, a little home cooking there in their own building. I uh, I think there was enough in the Canucks game to find a star, and certainly that JT Miller goal to me stood out. So the the three stars, like Tufty, Drouin, and Nachushkin, like, they all figured in the scoring. They all scored in this hockey game. But, you know, those aren't the three names you think of when you think of the Colorado Avalanche. And I just thought Kale McCarr turned out to be the game breaker uh, with that 4-2 goal on the breakaway and, you know, to steal the puck off JT Miller and, and go the other way. So I've got Kale McCarr. He had a goal and an assist. He is just absolutely on fire. He has 11 points in his last four games. McCarr, for me, was the first star in this hockey game. Miller was the second star. And then I went with Druan, who had a goal and an assist, just his second goal of the season as he tries to resurrect his career in the Mile High City. So those are the rink-wide Vancouver three stars. The comparison between the two star defensemen, Quinn Hughes plays 27 minutes and 19 seconds. He has an assist on the JT Miller goal. Kale McCarr played 24 minutes and 36 seconds. He had a goal and an assist, and they both had their moments in this one. It's interesting that neither one led their team in ice time, that Devon Taves was the ice time leader for the Avs and Philip Ronick, as he has been uh, of late, he was the ice time leader for the Vancouver Canucks. So uh, again, there were moments, and obviously McCarr came through with the goal, but this was, like, I, I, I thought maybe one of the stars, whether it was going to be Hughes or McCarr or McKinnon or Rantanen, uh, I thought we might see a dominant performance. I'm not sure that we did. And maybe that speaks to the matchup here and just the attention paid to those types of players on both sides. Uh, yeah, 27-53 is, uh, is a lot. And, and you know, when, when these ice times are coming in losses, it makes it harder to take for Quinn Hughes because you don't mind him playing that much if it's going to end up with two points. But when you're playing that much and... Uh, and you're not getting the two points. Boy, that, that certainly hurts. Honorable mention for me for the Vancouver Canucks, Ian Cole gets up over 20 minutes, almost 21 minutes of ice time himself. Four shot attempts, two on net, six blocked shots for Ian Cole. 
And get this, according to Natural Statric, at even strength, he led all skaters in expected goals for at 1.67 at 5 on 5. Sorry, at even strength, I can update you on that. It was 1.74 at even strength for Ian Cole. So, you know, in a support role, uh, it was a, a decent night for Ian Cole. Yeah, on a night when Mark Friedman goes down and Rick Tockett said he didn't have an update, so uh, we'll have to wait. Uh, the Canucks going basically with five defensemen over that uh, final period. I don't know how much Friedman would have played in a close game, uh, especially when the Canucks got down and were chasing, but still, they were down to five defensemen, so the workload goes up for all of those players. Cole took the penalty in the first period, and then you know, usually he's the guy that's going to win that battle for position in front of the net. Uh, it was just unfortunate for him that Tufty was able to kind of push him back onto Demko, and that goal squeezed through. But Ian Cole has been terrific for the first uh, 20 for the Vancouver Canucks. I think he's played more than I thought he would, and probably he's played more, than, quite frankly, than, than he thought he would. Maybe. And so uh, he's been a nice addition, particularly on the penalty kill, although, as we said earlier, just one power play goal in this game, and unfortunately for the Canucks, it was scored by the Colorado Avalanche. It was Val Nachushkin, who is in a groove. I mean, what a spot for him on that line with McKinnon and Rantanen, but he has now scored in five straight games, so he is getting it done. And, you know, on that one, Philip Perona kind of found himself in no man's land and good patience by Rantanen to slide that puck across, and Chushkin there able uh, to get it past Thatcher Demko. So uh, I like the effort for the Vancouver Canucks. I would have liked it to, to have extended a little further into that third period, but Colorado is going to win its fair share of hockey games this season, there's no doubt. And they only come to town once. That's unfortunate uh, on the schedule. The Canucks are back there in February, and then uh, in March, Colorado makes its lone visit to Vancouver and such star power on that side. So it'll be a while before you see them in Vancouver. And yeah, just to update, they have changed a little bit. Uh, Quinn Hughes did end up leading the Canucks in ice time at 27.53. At the end of the game, I had written down 27.19, but uh, clearly they've added one more shift there. So he just edges out Philip Hironik uh, for the ice time lead for the Vancouver Canucks in this one. 5-2 is the final score. The Canucks not winners, but hey, you could be uh, you could be a multimillionaire for just $100 with your VGH Millionaire Lottery tickets. You get in to win one of 10 grand prize options, including home packages in Vancouver and the Lower Mainland, the Okanagan, Vancouver Island, or you can take $2.7 million in tax-free cash. Don't forget to get your 50-50 plus tickets. Win half of BC's biggest jackpot. It can grow to $2.4 million. Early buyers win more, including bonus draws and 51 early bird draws. We all need VGH, and VGH needs you. Every ticket purchase supports VGH and UBC Hospital Foundation. With your millionaire lottery tickets, you're supporting more than just hospital care. You're supporting you and your loved ones who need it the most. You can order your tickets toll-free, 1-888-445-5825, in person at London Drugs or online at millionairelottery.com. 19 plus to play. Know your limit play within it. The Avs down the Canucks 5-2. to two. You're listening to Rinkwide Vancouver. Back on Rinkwide Vancouver as we continue to break down this 5-2 Canucks loss to the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, out of Denver and into Seattle on Friday and then San Jose on Saturday. They'll see the Anaheim Ducks for the first time the next home game at Rogers Arena. They've got home games next Tuesday and Thursday. Anaheim on Tuesday and then the Vegas Golden Knights. And we've talked about measuring sticks and that'll be the first look at the Stanley Cup champs. So I'm sure that'll be a big one, but uh, that's in the offing. The Canucks can't worry about uh, the Ducks or the Golden Knights or even the Sharks. Uh, their focus now has to turn to the Seattle Kraken on Friday night at Climate Pledge. And I'm sure there'll be a ton of 
of Canuck fans in attendance. And what a weekend. Because I know, like, anecdotally, I, I just, I know a bunch of people that are going down for the Seahawks 49ers game that you mentioned earlier on your Betway Bet of the Day. And what a double dip that is. You take in a little football at Lumen, stay overnight, and then you get uh, hockey on Friday night over this U.S. Thanksgiving long weekend. It's interesting, you know, we, we touched on Mark Friedman. We've said that probably going to be some decisions here. Uh, and Akito Hiroshi will likely draw into the lineup, but I, I'm fascinated because I know, look, Noah Juleson's not everybody's cup of tea, and, and he's a depth defenseman by definition. And I see it in my timelines an awful lot. People wonder, like, why is he still in there? To me, the best indication of what coaches think of players is their deployment and the fact that they continue to roll out a Juleson and Friedman over Akito Hiroshi, who did play on Saturday against Seattle, but then came right back out of the lineup again. My hunch is here, and, and Rick Tockett said as much when they called Hiroshi up this time, that you know it was sort of 50-50 with uh, Willannon, but Willannon was nursing something and didn't get the opportunity. It just feels to me like you know maybe the fan base likes Akito Hiroshi more than this coaching staff does. Yeah, I, I think there's still some worry over Akito Hiroshi's chops at this level given how young he is and I think that they still want to make him a professional before they anoint him a national hockey leaguer and and that's a fair comment I mean what have you thought of him in the brief looks that we've got of him this year because I I think we throw what we saw last year that's playing on adrenaline mostly but what have you seen like to me it's still a very lightweight young guy you can certainly see the decision making and the the slick puck moving but I don't know that I would have been comfortable seeing Nikita Hirose versus a veteran group like the Colorado Avalanche. Against the Kraken, maybe a little bit more so, but I get the reticence a little bit from the Vancouver Canucks coaching staff. Yeah, look, I don't think he had a great training camp or preseason, and he was among he was cut earlier than I thought he would, and then Talkett had the comment about his fitness levels. And you're right, he's still learning to be a pro. He hasn't sort of blown up the American Hockey League by any stretch of the imagination. No. And when you've already got an undersized guy in Quinn Hughes, you know, this is one of the things that kind of, I think, prevented Jack Rathbone from really getting a long look here was, you know, you had to bring something special to the mix that they didn't already have. And when you've got Quinn Hughes here, you know, being an undersized offensive guy, that's probably not going to be your ticket. And I think we're all still trying to figure out ultimately what is Akito Hiroshi going to be as a professional. And he looked poised and polished and calm late last season, but it was also garbage time. It was, and that's yeah. no fault of his own. But I, I, I do think any assessment of him last year, you know, there was a, an asterisk just because the Canucks weren't playing for anything. They saw a lot of bottom feet. Remember, they finished in the final week against Anaheim and Arizona. Like, the level of competition was not huge. And, you know, it kind of got lost because his underlying numbers weren't great in a very small sample size. But to the eye, he looked like he fit in. And so... At this level, no stone is left unturned. I think coaching staff would look at all those underlying numbers and they've got their reasons. Whatever the case, when they've had him up here, for the most part, he has been the extra body and they've elected to go with four righties and two lefties. And that comes after a training camp when they were trying to figure out a partner for Quinn Hughes. And I mean, how many times did Rick Tockett talk about how much he wanted the balance of lefty-righty? And now he's sort of going against his own word in that regard. And I think that too sort of speaks to you know, the pecking order of Juleson and Friedman and Hiroshi when they're all available, but uh, we don't know about Mark Friedman and his availability. But, you know, just back to Juleson quickly, you know, in that second period when there was a four-on-three Colorado power play and Juleson was out there as one of the two defensemen. Now, 
it came on the heels of a bunch of power play time. And so Quinn Hughes played a lot. And I think Hironic had had some power play shifts as well. And I think they were trying to spread the ice time. And, you know, that is one area that Juleson can be physical and, and try to win puck battles and blocked a couple of shots as well. So I thought actually he was all right in this hockey game. He is the perfect number seven or eight guy. Like, you know, like I think he's totally fine as an injury replacement guy for a few weeks, but I, I, I do think you want to worry about having him there for 65 games. Yeah, uh, I would think that the organization, with all due respect to Noah Juleson, would hope that uh, he's not going to log 65 games <laughs> for the Vancouver Canucks this season. But injuries happen, and Carson Soucy's going to be out a while here, and so I don't think that the conversation has changed in terms of management and its outlook, and you know, if they can improve the blue line, I think that that's something that they will certainly try to do, but as we know, not a lot of movement, player movement, in the National Hockey League here as we get to this U.S. Thanksgiving weekend, which is always used as a barometer, and the Canucks are certainly on the right side of the playoff bar as they roll into U.S. Thanksgiving, and so the challenge is going to be stay there. I think I read somewhere earlier today, since 2005-2006, 75% of the teams that have held down a playoff spot on the Thanksgiving long weekend go on to be playoff teams. So that certainly bodes well for the Vancouver Canucks. They've got a little bit of a cushion. We said that they have spent some money, but... You know, at the same time, you know, some of those teams in the chase pack, like Calgary, lost to Nashville. Edmonton got walloped in Carolina. And I mean, we've spent a lot of time in this market focusing on the struggles of the Edmonton Oilers. The Anaheim Ducks were a nice story out of the gate for the first, what, 15 games or so. But I think they're starting to find their level as well. So they're no longer above the playoff bar. And and really, some of those teams in the chase pack they're spinning their wheels and not making up a whole lot of ground. We talked about Seattle, like they are, but the other teams that are chasing the Canucks, you know, they're having their issues too. Yeah. And even Seattle, it feels certainly like they have some traction to four, three and three in their last 10. So it's not the world on fire sort of stuff. And if the, so what makes this four pointer on Friday so much fun like, again, I think it is a big game. It makes the Kraken below 500 again, gives them a losing record and slows down any traction that they might feel like they have. So if they win on Friday, there was three clear halves in the Pacific Division and five clear have-nots. And I think the Canucks would love to make sure it stays like that for a long, long time. And they can do themselves all sorts of favors by being active agents in that and beating Seattle. Well, let's finish up with the stat that stands out. And I'm just going to go with the Canucks 20-game record because, it, it to me, it does stand out. And usually we pull a stat from the game itself. And there were some, and we've covered some throughout the episode here. But 13-6. And one, you know, if they win this game, they're 14, five and one, that would have been incredible, but nothing to sneeze at. And especially against the backdrop of where they were in the dysfunction of this organization at this time last year. So good on the Vancouver Canucks. It's been fun. It's energized the market. We can feel it on our social channels and, you know, feedbacks to both your show and, and to this one as well. And just the, the vibe around town. Now, long season, and there's a lot of work to stay at this level, but certainly beats the alternative of falling behind the way they have the last couple of seasons and playing catch-up. So full credit from uh, management and the coaching staff on down uh, to the Vancouver Canucks to be a 13-6-1 hockey club after 20 games. And they don't have to repeat that. We said that what this start has done is give them the head start so that, Jeff, if their next 20-game set is 10-8-2, that's okay. They're still going to be in a really good playoff spot if their next 20 games is merely 10-8-2. That's the benefit of starting 13-6-1. and 
Well, we'll see what uh, the next 20 game segment looks like when it starts on Friday at Climate Pledge Arena. We'll be back and we'll do another episode of Rinkwide Vancouver then. In the meantime, we'll continue to monitor this hockey club and any roster moves that uh, may be coming down the pipe. And of course, make sure that you follow us uh, on all of our social channels at Rinkwide Van. But that is going to do it for this one. The Vancouver Canucks 2 2 to the third period. It was there for the taking. Unfortunately, the other guys ended up taking this one, Colorado, by a score of 5 2. For Blake, this is Jeff. Thanks so much for listening to another edition of Rinkwide Vancouver, brought to you by Betway.